Welcome, dear listeners, to the Dish with Dina podcast. I am so happy to have you join us. Today, my guest is Sukita Sok. Sukita and I dish about her journey from Cambodia to the Bronx, our shared experiences in feeling outcasted during our formative years, and taking chances in life. Sukita completed her Bachelor of Science in Nutrition last year and has worked in a variety of settings from fundraising to furniture to food. So sit back, enjoy the conversation. And let's dish. Welcome, Sokita, to the Dish with Dina podcast. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. I'm very excited to be speaking with you. As I do with a lot of these interviews, I want to start off with how did we meet? Do you want to share with our listeners how we how we became to know each other? Oh, I took a summer class and we taught at Lehman College. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how we met. Yeah, and we were just saying, I think you were in more than one of my classes. I believe we had two semesters together, a summer and a fall or a summer and a spring. I can't remember how long ago it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah great. I think it was in the fall as well, the last one. Yeah. yeah, and this is the thing I love about having that relationship with my students is it's not just one and done with the semester. It's like I kind of end up stalking you guys on Instagram when, when we are done <laughs> with each other. And I really become so interested in your background and your story. And so would you mind also taking us a little bit further back to, like, where did you grow up? What kind of... Um, traditional food habits did you guys have when you were younger and tell us a little bit about that and then we'll eventually get into you know where you are now and how that how that led you into the direction you're going in now so i was born and raised in cambodia phnom penh the capital city of um, cambodia mm-hmm. and me and my family we moved here um in 2008 so it's about 11 years now i was um i came here and i started high school in the bronx with my two others, well, yeah, two two other sisters, and the other one she goes to um, grade school. Um, I was yang out of Cambodia because <laughs> I wasn't expected to come here. It was only my my older sister to, um, you know, to come to move to America. Um, I mean, we have family here in New York City. It was a chain migration, I would say, because um, they moved here right after um, Khmer Rouge as an um, asylum refugee. So my grandma was here with my uncle. Um, yeah, fast forward, they sponsor us. I didn't know English back then when I moved here. I know I knew the alphabet and that's about it. I, well, there was nothing wrong with my life. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't the most modernized lifestyle or the most um, wasn't I, you know, lifestyle back there, but I enjoy every bit of it. Um, in terms of food and cultural background over there, it's very, um, tropical. We pretty much eat, um, fresh fruit and fresh produce every day. I remember my mom would go to the market every day and shop for food instead of going every week, like here and put it in the fridge when she comes home and brings snacks. Um, after school or even before we go to school, she would have, you know, go to the market first and then come back home and cook and then have us go to school and then come back <laughs> um, after work and then, you know, bring snacks. So it, it was very um, basically fresh produce every day. 
And was it a lot of home cooking, natural foods? Were there anything that you had already prepared for you? Like, obviously, in America, we have a lot of convenience foods and package things and heat and eat items. And obviously, you know, some things are a little bit more heavily processed than others. But tell us a little bit about that. Like, what was a, a day in the life of you as far as food was concerned, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Um, in terms of food, what we eat, I noticed that here we do consume a lot of meat. Mm-hmm. Over there, we do eat meat, but... And for flavoring reasons, not necessary for, mm. like, oh, here's a chunk of steak. Right. Um, that, yeah, that's, that wasn't something new to me, having steak and, like, a side of um, peas or yeah. string beans. Um, but we didn't have that at home. It was more of, like, oh, slice of meat in the soups with a um, bunch of vegetables, green leaves especially. Mm-hmm. Um, with stir-fry, like, again, slice pieces of meat, um, not... You know, it's a chunk of meat like that. Um, and for breakfast, usually, you know, we go for porridge with like this preserved salted fish. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes we just go with salt. Just I, I don't know. That's what, uh, that's what I would like. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, normally we would just go with that or the shredded um, pork, dry pork. Um, that's for breakfast. Um, anything hot would be ideal. So in Cambodia, schooling, it's start from like 7 a.m. in the morning until 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. And then the second shift would be from 1 p.m. until 5 p.m. So you only go to school one shift, and the second shift would be for extra class. So mm-hmm. we have the gap um, for lunch. We can come home for lunch. Um, that's what we usually do. And then my mom would come back. She, would, she's a, she's a teach, she was a teacher as well in Cambodia. So she would go to school, go teach, and then go to the market um, after school around like 11 a.m. and then come get the produce, come back home and cook. And we should be home by then as well. She would pick us up along the way or we could come home and dad pick us up. So then she would make food and usually it would be soup, um, vegetable soup, um, fried fish or stir fry and always with rice. Everything was with rice, basically breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And can you share with us, were there certain holidays that were a little bit bigger or more extravagant? Any indulgent foods or things that, you know, you you kind of made a bit uh, larger effort in that respect? And the reason why I bring this up is because, as you know, right, so I've said this before in a lot of the other interviews, I, I teach the Food Society and Health. Um, class at Lehman College. And we go through kind of like the whole globe of what is considered uh, religious and cultural traditions and how people celebrate different things that are going on. So whether it's an actual religious holiday or a celebration of some sort, tell us a little bit about that too, because I'm not entirely sure. I am familiar with a lot of the Cambodian traditions. Um, yeah, so we have multiple, but the one that I, I can't remember, the one that I noticed the most, it's similar to Halloween in America, and mm-hmm. it's actually around the same time, too. Um, it's around when I was born, which is, like, mid-October. During that time, it's um almost like honoring death. Um, I think in Mexican culture, they have that, that death thing. Yep, Dia de Muerte. Right, right. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, it's very, um, it's the same concept. So you get um that, that one day to, not one day, actually, for us, it's almost a month. But mm-hmm. there's, like, one particular day that's, like, the biggest day, but a month for the whole month you can go to the pagoda and offering food to um to the monks and then like the monk would bless the food and the food would go to um the death 
to your ancestor who passed away. Oh, so gee. that's like, yeah, that's a whole month of that. And then um, usually what we would cook, we can offer anything, but this is one sig- um, significant um, dish. It would mm-hmm. be, it's like the sticky rice stuffed with um, ground pork, pork belly, or sticky rice stuffed with um, sweet banana. It's a small banana, so it's like you steam, you wrap it um with banana leaf and tie it up with a straw, um with a natural fiber straw, and then just steam it for hours, and yeah, that's one of the the yeah that's that's like always there during mm-hmm. October, um, and yeah, that's that's one of that's what I can remember. I remember my mom before giving birth um on the well I think the same day. When I was born, my mom was making that sticky rice. Oh, yeah, she was making that sticky rice, and then she had to stop to she, give birth. She, she went yeah. to labor. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting because on a day that you would commemorate the dead, a new life enters the world, and that's lovely. It's kind yeah. of, that's kind of a nice little juxtaposition there. So, were you involved in cooking at all since you did kind of, I guess, you came to the United States at somewhat of a, a younger age? Were you able at the time when you were in Cambodia to help your mom out in the kitchen or, you know, wh- whatever you did as far as food, cooking, or cleaning, or helping out in preparing the, the dishes? Yeah. Um, so, when I moved here, I was around 14, 15, I think. But in my family, we all, we all girls four girls in total so my biggest we all had to know how to cook or familiar with the mm-hmm. what goes around the kitchen because my mom she's um she's she's been cooking ever since she was I don't know um four, 11 or something too because she had a big family yeah um so she all she doesn't give us like oh here's what you have to cook it's more like okay start with you know smashing lemongrass pounding lemongrass or cutting this, cutting that. So it was always a small task. Um, I hated it. I <laughs> resent I, Yeah, I never liked it. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's like I, I knew what goes around in the I knew what's like, what I have to do. But yeah. at the same time, it wasn't something that I enjoy doing. Which is interesting to hear that you weren't a fan of actually being in the kitchen then because it was like almost a chore. <laughs> it was yeah. almost like a chore. Being played. But then flashing forward, which we'll talk about in a second about how you ended up kind of creating a food business for yourself. But before we go into that, I want to get your ideas and thoughts of when you did come to America, how, you know, as I hear you saying your first meal of the day, the breakfast meals would be what I guess people here in the more traditional American or the standard American diet would consider to be a lunch or a dinner, more savory type of meal. But I often tell people, you know, think outside of the cereal box. Like you don't have to just have oatmeal and think, you know, cereals and especially sweetened foods like that, like the sugary box type of foods in the first thing in the morning, you could easily have leftover dinner or you could have something savory in the morning. So when you came to America, was it a little bit of a shock to you or how did you feel when you transitioned being like, oh, I'm not necessarily, uh, you know, eating the way that the American people are? Is that the first time you kind of saw some differences in your traditional ways and what you were kind of integrated into? Um, at first, I was I, I would say it was a good shock. Because, mm. you know, as, when I was at that age, I thought everything, Western food in Cambodia considered as privileged and luxurious stuff. So right. when I moved here, when I have it, I can have it for breakfast, lunch, and then like pizza and stuff. So it was like, <laughs> oh, it's cool. But then, yeah, I remember I would eat 
pizza with knife and fork. And, you know, because I didn't really know how to eat it, but but I knew it was like luxurious stuff. So I was like, oh, I should treat it like one, you know, because back home, that's how I would eat pizza. Right. Um. So I was, at first it was, um. yeah, I was, I was happy with it. Oh, it's so easy to eat. Um. It's good because it's always sweet, most of the stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I liked it at first, but then over time, um, not well, not long after I, I started to like, um, can I have, uh, this, can I pack food, home, like, you know, from home to school now? Because like, it's usually the right. same thing over and over again. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I joke sometimes my mom and dad, they were born in Italy. My mom came over to America when she was much younger. She was about nine or so. My dad ended up migrating first to um, South America, to Venezuela. And then he came into America when he was about 23. So he was a little bit further removed from the, you know, kind of, standard American things where my mom grew up in it. So she started off, you know, fourth or fifth grade at the time and she became a little bit more Americanized than him. However, uh, they did cook a lot of traditional foods at home and I would actually go to school with, uh, you know, my joke was like, I would show up to school with like a greasy lunch bag of whatever the, the veal cutlet sandwich from the night before with my mom's like braised, you know, escarole and people would just look at me like I was insane and they would make fun of me all the time. And I would mm-hmm. beg students. Yeah, I know. Beg my students, uh, my classmates to kind of like trade with me. Like, I'll, can I please have a Twinkie? Like I didn't know what American food was at second and third grade yeah. uh, because we didn't have that in my house. Like my mom and dad didn't go shopping for the traditional American cereals and things like that. They made everything from scratch and we had a garden in the backyard. So I felt really far removed from that. And um, so if anybody's ever seen the movie called My Big Fat Greek Wedding, there's an actual scene where the uh, you know younger version of Nia is the main character is in her cafeteria in her school and people are making fun of her because of her lunch and that's how I felt all the time you know people were having like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or at the time bologna sandwiches on white bread was a big thing with you know cold cuts and deli sandwiches and I just never had that I had like I said I had had, like my mom's breaded fish and you know whatever and it was always kind of like smelly and greasy from the next in the bag the next day so uh, it was a bit of a shock to the system as well and like you you know I was kind of enamored with I think certain things that I was uh, not necessarily denied, but I never had the ability to have before. And I became a little bit crazy with it too. Like I would go to people's houses and just inhale whatever was in their refrigerator and cabinets (laughs) because I was so excited to try American food. Um, so tell us a little bit about that too, because when you were coming here, that's like high school years, I guess. Right. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, and that's kind of the formative years as well, where you, you kind of have to, it makes or breaks you sometimes of how you're being integrated into different cliques and popular crowds. So how did you find your way in there? And how did you, because I think of you as a very confident person, how did you find your way to kind of, you know, stand out from that, or at least honor your culture during those kind of more formative years? Hmm. I'm glad you talked about click and you, because back home, I knew who I was based on my peer, based on who I hang out with, my whole my own little place. Mm-hmm. Um so when I moved here and like I told you it wasn't I I didn't hate how I lived back home. It was fine, right. everything was fine for me, so I feel like I was yang out of my, you know, my group of friends, my culture, what it was that was going on that what I anticipated for myself back home, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it was different because First, it was the language barrier. It was the 
cultural it was like you know even like it goes down to clothing and how what people wear and how you right how you talk to people at first i thought that the student was so rude to the teacher because i can never ever imagine how you know like the student and the interaction between the student and teacher can be that um very friendly like you know not right. as much as authoritative um kind of right. things as what i would use to it would be one thing and another thing would be how I had to figure myself. Um, I mean, I had people, I would approach people like the like freshman year would approach people and people would walk away from me because they didn't know what I was saying. And they would oh. say that. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot. <laughs> like you said, it's like formative. Yeah, I'm not sure how it affected yeah. me, but um, right. I'll find out later, sooner than later. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, right now, I guess <laughs> what I know is um, I did try to observe rather than be interact like rather than in, um be more interactive as I okay well it was my choice to be an observant a spectator of learning the culture rather than like go in and talk to them so I right. would watch them how they dress I would listen to how they talk with the accent and the um, pronunciation the everything basically the tonation of how they talk and learn rather than like because I, I didn't really have a lot of friends. Actually, I didn't, yeah. Yeah, I didn't go to prom or those things. So basically, it was um, just watching rather than right. like, interacting. Because um, not only it was, I don't know, it was, it was, I guess it was a defense mechanism. And so, okay, you don't have to fit in, you know, just because they don't like you. Just because they, you kind of get different from them. You know, because um, I, I would think it was the only Asian there too, except for my two other sisters. Um, so it was, it was difficult. So I guess I, that's how I built my defense mechanism. So I was like, it's okay. Just, um, find yourself based on Mm -hmm. yourself and not who you associate with, you know? And that's how I kind of do that. Um, I mean, I would be a teacher pet for uh, the last two years of high school. That that was, that was it. My high school year was, I didn't like my high school year as much. Yeah. Well, I didn't either. And I say that in the first episode of this podcast, my season one introduction, I was not comfortable in any of those younger, um, you know, school time type of environments because of what I said before about the, you know, coming from an immigrant family and just feeling a little outcasted. But, you know, to share and to listen to you saying this as well, and I'm kind of going down uh, in my own memories, I'm feeling really emotional right now because Mm -hmm. at that time, we didn't know, we didn't know that the the kids that we were interacting with or that we were maybe feeling outcasted by we didn't know that they were ignorant of not understanding other cultures we didn't know that we thought maybe that it was a personal attack on us for them not wanting to integrate or they felt weird or you know asking us maybe to be a part of their group because uh we were different than them perhaps not to put myself necessarily in your shoes but to kind of have compassion and empathy for what you were going through i felt like that as well and but I will say, at least for me, and here it seems like a little bit for you as well, that I really appreciate the phrase that in vulnerability, there is strength. Because in that particular situation, I could have been very depressed and out. Well, I, I kind of was at the time, but I could have been, you know, gone down of a downward spiral there. But instead, I, I kind of strengthened 
and gained confidence and became a little bit more independent. And I learned how to, you know, go to a movie theater by myself and go shopping by myself. And a lot of my peers at the time were always kind of surprised by you, you go to restaurants on your own. And I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't I? But also because no one will come with me because I'm, I'm flying solo. And so a lot of my uh, more, closer relationships really happened as an adult. So I, with the exception of one or two people who have been in my life since birth, I don't really have a lot of close friends from elementary school, high school, and even college, really. It was only when I became an adult and started working that I started developing those um, those really tight friendships. And that is okay by me because those are more valid and that's more quality. Whereas I think as children, sometimes you just kind of end together wherever you're placed and, you know, maybe friendships back there feel obligatory as you get older, even though perhaps, you know, as you do age and as you become adults, uh, you kind of go off into different directions. Like you have different likes and pursuits and maybe someone gets married and somebody doesn't get married and someone has kids and someone doesn't have kids. And so you're tied just by the mere fact of that you grew up with each other. Mm-hmm. But as an adult, I really, really appreciate and hold so dear to my heart. All And anybody listening to this who is a friend of mine knows that, that I go out of my way to make sure they all feel loved and important. And I don't know if I would have gotten that if I just was kind of like, you know, thrown into some popular crowd in, in school, maybe I would have come away with it, not feeling as deep as I do right now about my, my friendships and my relationships. So again, you're taking away some positive aspects. And I, I also like what you said about kind of observing, you know, having an observer role and really being able to kind of see versus again, being thrown into something and just assimilating and yeah. thinking, well, this is what everybody else is doing. So good for you for kind of, you know, sticking it out. Um, so tell us then also now that you're, in your you know older years after high school and you're going into college and so on, share with us a little bit about that whole journey. Did anything from your time in Cambodia to when you transitioned into American ways play a role in what you decided to major in? You can talk a little bit about that too. And then what you decided to do as far as career pursuits and your own business pursuits as well. I remember I had this conversation right with my friend in Cambodia on a bench my high um my my grade school friend and we were saying hey what do you want to do when you grow up and then we had the same answer which is interior designer and back home <laughs> you didn't have that word that terminology for interior designer it's like oh to decorate the house like someone that yes. decorate the house i'm like oh yeah me too so we both wanted to do that so it's that oh okay i guess that's what i wanted to do so um when i moved to america after high school I knew that I want to do something with designing or art. I want to be an art teacher. I wanted to, um, I'm not the most artistic person, but I wanted, you know, like involve myself with that. Um, so I go for, I went for industrial design <laughs> and I did that for a semester. I got intimidated because I talked to, um, like my counselor and I, I took classes and I was my classmates were all like middle men, uh, middle aged men, and yeah, so wow. because okay. I had to deal with like big man- <laughs> manufacturer um, equipment right. and stuff. So I went in and I was kind of like, you know, I was fresh out of high school and I didn't really know anything better. I was like, right, yeah, like I told you, I wasn't the most like interactive person, so it's like, oh my god, I had to take train to school, I had to like do all of this thing. So everything was like another new chapter for me is like not only because my high school was like only three blocks from my house so it was like right yeah woke up and then go to school but so this one was like everything was new and it was like oh intimidating I, I guess my willpower was in 
strong enough to stick up with what I, you know, just get this degree and then go on, move on with it. So I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can change my major to, I I didn't know what I wanted to do too back then. So I was like, okay, just go to with um, undecided liberal arts or something. And then that's what I did. So I got my um, associate degrees from City Tech. It was in Brooklyn. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah. So like within the the gap years, um, I did a lot of like, um, I, I, I was a teacher assistant for middle school for a bit. And I worked at the restaurant um, for a bit too. So that's why um, I'm like, okay, you know, I want to just go for medical field. Like, so I guess when, as you grew older, you're like, okay, you need some more, something secure. Like, you know, when you expose yourself to like this like work environment, you, you knew that, okay, this is where people would generate more money or like it's more secure jobs. So you look for like a secure you know, way um way of life rather than um imaginary one or not an imaginary one, like <laughs> not the you know, not the right. um the most aspiring thing. So I went to that route, um and my GPA wasn't the best at the time, so I didn't I couldn't go into nursing or radiologist. Um those are the, those are the two that I looked for. Um yeah. so I'm like, okay, which is you know, I like nutrition because I um before I didn't know anything about nutrition until I um, worked for this family. I was a a tutor and a babysitter for them, so that that family inspired me a lot in terms of okay, this is what you should do in terms of eating. This is what you should eliminate um, from your diet and all those things. So, um, the mom she didn't teach me. Her name is Laura. Um, so she didn't teach me anything but just be in her house and seeing all those things like, you know, no sugar, mm. no, um, no salty product, vegan, vegetarian, all those things. This was like my first exposure to vegan and vegetarian beyond right. it and all those things. So I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. You know, that's something that I can um, explore further. And it's within medical field as well. So I was like, okay, something that I like and something that can be, can give me that secure lifestyle and turmoil. Um, making money and stuff so that's when I chose nutrition when I went to Lehman and also my sister she went to Lehman for accounting for um, yeah she got her accounting degree from there so I'm like okay let's just go to Lehman um, after I took um I think it was a year and a half um, of my gap year so I started go back right to, yeah I went back to school and got my nutrition degree and so you kind of found yourself in that way. I always say there's no such thing as coincidence. So the mere fact that you started off thinking one thing was interesting to you to pursue it, but it didn't feel like a good fit. Um, and then you kind of rerouted and just by chance that you're working for yeah. this family, you started, right. You started kind of like, Oh, this is really interesting. Let me see what that's about. And I can actually get a degree in this. That would be very cool. And so uh, a couple of things from there then, I mean, you still have ties to interior design world if I'm not mistaken and if I've I've stalked your Instagram (laughs) (laughs) if I've stalked your Instagram appropriately I know that and number two then you also have ties now to the food thing as well which plays upon the thing that I usually tend to say especially when I mentor or I'm precepting students and interns it doesn't have to be just one or the other like you can be a real estate broker and also be you know a circus performer like you can do whatever you want in your life whatever it doesn't have to be one or the other yeah so whatever your hobbies are 
uh, that you enjoy, if you can turn them into work, if you enjoy doing them, if it becomes something that you can make money at and you enjoy doing it, then by all means, pursue that stuff. So tell us a little bit about that. What are you working on these days? What does bring you not just money, but joy and happiness and make you feel like you have some sort of, uh, you know, hand in a career in some sort? And then we'll talk a little bit about where do you see that going? Um, so, yeah, I knew that in the back of my mind, I would come back to designing fields, um, doing something with interior design or anything, you know, that can um, unleash that, you know, not, I don't, not mm-hmm. create, you know, yeah, can, you know, like, deal with the creativity um, world. So I knew that it would come back. So I guess this, this time, this year is like idling. You know, everything's like on pause and everything's like rewind, rethink and reboot. That's what I think of this year. So, um, so I did my food business until March because that's when they declared the state of emergency. I actually took it as right. like the full-time endeavor um, for the whole 2019 and until March. So when I couldn't do it because, um, you know, it, it was an aging cuisine too. I didn't want to like, you know, um, I knew that it was a good route to go. So I had to pause. Mm-hmm. So after that, I worked at Amazon warehouse for um, a bit for like a few weeks. Um, it was brutal. <laughs> it was it brutal was. because it was like at night shift, you know, because um, at the time, um, I mean, I applied for a job, but it wasn't hiring instantly, you know, so I needed something right. that, um, at that moment. So I did that and then Wick office called me, he's like, oh, hey, um, you want to come in? And then it was a, a temporary position, but I took it anyway. Because I oh I knew that you know I I believe it was from your class like oh if you have this you you told us that if you have um if you're doing option two you can also go right. for like um work at WIC or you know Urban Health and all those like breastfeeding right. counselor and stuff so that's what I mm-hmm. noticed was like oh okay so that's good you know because I knew that I didn't want to be a be in clinical world that's what I was right. sure of you know I was like I'm either going to do business or work at WIC. If I want to go for, you know, sitting in the office and like counseling people is what I would, that's what I would love to do. Um, right. So then I worked there. Um, yeah. So it was a temporary position. Um, it was for three months. So after three months, they had to like let me go and then rehire me again and hire me as another temporary um, worker, you know, employee. So I didn't want that. So my friend mm-hmm. told me that, oh, hey, um, you want, I have this, um, I know this guy that's looking for people to work as a kitchen designer. Do you want to, you know, you want to try? I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So I went in mm-hmm. and he was this, he's this Jewish guy that's, he called himself a hippie Jewish guy. So he was very all about <laughs> the energy and all those things, you know, it's like, oh, the aura, okay. the energy. He's like, um, you don't have any design background. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, but you know, I did, I know auto card. I know like the, I was in industrial design for like a semester. Right. So he's like, yeah, but everyone here is either an interior designer or an architect, you know, they qualify people. And he's like, mm-hmm. okay, so I'm going to do something crazy because it's this um, Jewish holiday coming up. I want to do something nice. Like, we have to do something nice. So that's why he hired me. <laughs> so he hired me as, um, it, it was a, a self-position too, but I have to know my way around, like, you know, the floor plan and all those things. So right now I'm still learning, but it was um, almost like a, a serendipity, you know, because I always want to know. Mm-hmm. I, I guess I'm still a little intimidated in terms of the, 
you know, the the Caucasian male world. You know, because I've never been exposed mm-hmm. to that. Because like even with the food business, yeah, I do have like um, you know, like all type of backgrounds of like all walks of life of people come in. But I knew what I was doing. I was comfortable in a way. Like I knew this is my ingredient. Yeah. People would ask me to explain what's in the food. You know, um, like all this like high polar allergen, all those things. So basically, I knew what I was doing. I knew my food. I knew my stuff. So it was easier in terms of interaction. Um, but as in the back of my mind, I always like, you know what, I want to explore this world, I want to know what's going on, because that's where, you know, like, that's, that's what I wanted to, to learn, basically, um, the, mm-hmm. the different world, like, the corporate world, and all this thing, the one that I'm pretty sure you were in before as an event planner, for the corporate event planner, mm-hmm. so, yeah, I, but I wasn't mm-hmm. exposed to that, so I thought it would be a good idea to expose myself now, since this year is all about that's what I think it's all about, you know, like, get in touch with what you intimidate of or, like, take a step back and then go again. Because you really have nothing to lose at this point because you see how things can be very much uncontrollable, you know, not within your control. So I think it was, like, a good opportunity. I mean, I, I could have taken another temporary position at WIC. I could have just do that and then, you know, look for other jobs or, like, wait for them to have permanent positions for me. But then, you know, I'm like, it's okay. Let's just do this. Um, you can always go back to nutrition, but let's just, you know, learn what you anticipate. You've been wanting to learn. You've been wanting to, like, almost like you intimidate of doing, but do it anyway. Right. Because if I really wanted to just get out of my comfort zone and, you know, be more, like, out there. Because when I told you I was an interactive in high school, deep down, I wanted to. But I kind of, like, you right. know, with everything that was going on, I was like, you know, I I told I kind of like the leave the sense and like, it, you know, I know you want to do this, but it's just that it's okay, don't do it, it's fine. But in the in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. like there's some like like subconsciously, I guess like I knew that I have to get in touch and like be like stronger in that field, you know, in terms of like networking, talking to people, and not be so scared about it all the time. So I guess this this position can teach me that. That's why I took it, you know. I knew that. I mean, I was scared taking it, but I I went for it anyway. Yeah, I love that. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm, as I usually do, I'm scribbling notes like a crazy person here. So I first want to clarify a couple of things for anybody listening to this, depending on when this episode airs. Yes, we are currently in a <laughs> pandemic and it doesn't look like we're getting out of anything soon. So, so Kita, what you were saying about, you know, kind of embrace for those of us who were still lucky enough to be healthy and able to pursue opportunities yeah. that come up that yes, you know, embrace this, this ability to kind of look at things through a different lens, maybe step outside your comfort zone, uh, go for some things that you maybe thought you didn't, you couldn't do before and like start, you know, maybe um, strengthening some of the skill sets that you want to do or take some classes and things to kind of build up on any of your, uh, you know, background that maybe you, you left behind at some point. So I love that. The second thing too, I just want to clarify for these for people who are listening as well, at Lehman College, when you are in the dietetics major, there are two options that you can take. You can either go into kind of the clinical route, which is termed option one. And then what Sukita was talking about with option two is more food service and business type of approaches, management, and so on. 
Um, and I love also the fact that, you know, you're able to pursue the role as the nutrition educator or the counselor without having to have a, a specific credential, because a lot of people think, oh, I'm not going to be able to do something in that field if I don't work in a hospital, if I don't have the re registered dietitian title, much like a lot of other places as well. Yeah. People think I'm not going to be able to be qualified if I haven't gotten a degree or if I haven't gotten a credential. Now, obviously, we don't want you performing heart surgery yeah. if you're not qualified, but some, <laughs> but some other things in life, you can bypass the gatekeepers. You can do, you know, you can weave your way in. You can um, establish yourself as really adamant about wanting to learn and maybe do an apprentice or an internship or kind of like show someone that you're qualified in some ways. So not only did that happen with you with the WIC opportunity, but it also happened with that gentleman taking a chance on you with the kitchen design because you're like, let me show you what I have. I only have one semester of actual formal schooling, but this is something that I'm really passionate about and it comes naturally to you. And so in a world where you don't necessarily have to worry about having a credential or an art degree that you are able to kind of show someone your strengths and your insight and let them see what it means to you and then, and then kind of, uh, validate that for you as well I'm sure now you're feeling like oh my gosh this is a good a good chance that I took yeah yeah definitely it, it, that's how I feel definitely yeah good and the energy too I love that that he was like I'm you know I want to pick up on energy and the fact that he felt that from you too that also helps qualify you um so for anyone out there, you know, if you're nervous about taking next steps with things, if you're not sure of what the world is, what to expect out of when we finally get out of this, uh, you know, take some chances, do some temporary things, do some online things, um, maybe step outside your comfort zone, reach out and do something that maybe seems like it could be interesting that could, again, strengthen some of the skills, whether they're soft skills or hard skills in that way, because you don't know what opportunities will come up after that. And so by putting yourself out there, you're kind of saying to the universe, you know, I'm ready and open open to receive whatever opportunities come my way versus staying put and just kind of being in a little tiny, tiny, um, you know, cocoon yeah. of I'll just, I'll come out, I'm gonna come out when I'm, <laughs> when I'm ready and not afraid to come out. So can you tell us also, since I know the pandemic kind of shut this down, but tell us a little too about you were doing, uh, like a food, a food fair, right? You had like a, a what do you call it, a table um, or a yeah, food, food vendor type of thing. Yeah, you got it. So yeah, I, yeah. So, um, I graduated last year in June, and that's when I'm like, okay, let's just do something because I was doing fundraising for a bit for specifically right. for nutrition program um, for UNICEF, and that was basically being on the street and approach people and asking for them to donate money. Um, mm -hmm. So I did that for a bit, and I liked it, but one day. <laughs> I visited, <laughs> one day I visited food, um, the Queen's International Night Market um, in Corona, yes. Fresh Meadow. So yeah, me and my boyfriend and my sisters, um, her boyfriend. So we were saying like, hey, everyone, you know, you see a lot of like, I think it was like close to 40 vendors and they're all from different countries. Um, you know, like basically all over the world. Asian, um, Caribbean, right. Latinos, like basically everything there. Um, but we don't see Cambodian there. And they were like, oh, why don't you just um, make mm -hmm. Cambodian, you know, do Cambodian food here? And that that's how the idea came about, you know. It was from one of them, like a friend or like my boyfriend and um, my sister's boyfriend. So it, it was them. So I'm like, oh, okay, you know, let me just give it a try. So I 
submitted the application, um, and the owner, John John Wang, he got back to me saying that, oh, hey, um, we never had Cambodian cuisine, Cambodian food, Cambodian vendor in five years ever since we started mm-hmm. um, the, the market. So what is it that you want to sell? Like menu proposal, all those things. And you need to get to t- uh, a lot of certificates on the OH and all those things. So it was a process, but because I knew, I knew what I was doing, I actually I didn't know a right. lot. I had to like come up with um with a recipe with my mom because we need to make a lot. Um, even like what to put on the menu that was um what we had to think about too. But I guess it was my willpower. You know, I was like, okay, this is what I'm gonna mm-hmm. do. So anything, what whatever it takes. You know, this is what I'm gonna do. So whatever it yeah. takes, and yeah, so everything went well. He accepted it. He accepted the application, and we started. I think it was a week or two weeks after um, I submitted the application. So I had to run to like the restaurant depot to get basically everything from scratch. Um, um, like, you know, like the chafing dish, everything, like, right. Yeah, every, All your yeah, supplies. So I was, like, <laughs> I put everything on my credit card and that was like, my credit card like went off the roof. Um, but it's fine now. <laughs> I've been saying, but like you know, um, through time we 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 made some profits to like um, balance it out. But that was like you know, like you know, this is what I'm gonna do. So whatever it takes. Um, so yeah, uh, I I did that every Saturday of the summer, and then yeah. um, they opened another one like Monday to Thursday in Rockefeller Center. So I was there too on. Mm-hmm. On Forty Eighth Street, between like basically Rockefeller, it's um Rockefeller Center, like in front of this well, that's like next close to the tree. Um, right. So yeah, I did that. Um, Monday to Thursday, I served lunch there, and it, it was good. It was good as well over there last year, and then, um, I did that until it gets too cold for me to stay outside. So the market had to close the one at Rockefeller Center. And the Queen's Army Market, it ends in October. Right. Rockefeller thing ended on November. So I had to do something again. <laughs> I had to find another gig. So um, I was scouting for location because I, I didn't have a lot of cap. I don't have a lot of capital. I don't have a lot of money to like invest in like a, a stable location. So it's either like within a food court right. or within like a small stall or something. Even that, it was like expensive for me too. Um, consider it was like only a few months in um, the business, you know. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I was, like, scouting for locations until John Wing again. He was like, oh, hey, we have an, another opportunity. It's indoor. It's in Fauci Building. That's where the TLC um, company um, located, like Uber and right. stuff. So, yeah, he was like, oh, yeah, we have foot traffic from LaGuardia, from community college students, um, the high school around there. There's a high school around there, too. So I was like, that's like um, a good foot traffic that you, you know, you can make business out of it. So that's, I gave it a try and I was there until March of this year. So I served lunch at Fauci Building um, full time there, um, Monday to Friday until March. Oh yeah. my gosh. That is fantastic. <laughs> so that, that, that is fantastic. You, I think that, that, that was fun. That was, yeah. that was a good, good time. <laughs> And again, combining all of your loves, you know, it's all, it feels like it's all kind of like coming together in 
well, unfortunately, what led up to the unfortunate incident where it closed everything down. But it feels like, you know, you were kind of like on a really good groove there and that could have turned into something. Um, So now that that is shut down and obviously, you know, I know as far as New York City is concerned, a lot of our establishments are open back up or there's certain restrictions as far as like indoor dining. Is that something that you would consider going back to or right now we're at the end of the year, so it's probably going to be closing if that's the case, too, like if they are doing any outside food stalls or um how do you see that progressing for you? Would you go back to that um, again? So right now they do have it open, the one Rockefeller Center. John contacted me that yeah. I mean contacted me to see if I want to go back and um, serve food there, but I declined the offer because I mean for that's for my reason. I mean people out there like they like other vendors there. Right yeah. Now, but for me, I think I, I mean it was a lot for me. It was fun, but sometimes I would get like one hours of sleep. Just I have to like prep and right. do everything like you know. So right. it was a lot for me. So. I I I would say I'm not gonna go back um, within this year, to say the least. So yeah, yeah um, with this job that I'm that I have right now, it shows me what I need to do and what I don't know. So that's what I want to um, mm-hmm. work upon. You know, like that those skill, like the like basically computer skill, um, the IT skill. Um, you know, to like another yeah. field that I have to look at that I haven't that I don't have that you know that I didn't have that so with this job it shows me what I should know and what I don't already know you know mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. focusing your energies in that respect yeah. too which is fine like it's okay to it, it's okay to feel like you're leaving something behind if it's not serving a purpose for you anymore and especially when it comes to self-care which is huge right now as well that if you're spreading yourself too thin even if you know those of us who are entrepreneur spirits we love hustling and grinding and spreading yeah. ourselves too thin but it takes a toll it takes a toll and we're no good to anyone if we're not good to ourselves so tell me a little bit about what a day in the life of you is right now as far as as far as taking care of your are you eating well are you sleeping well are you getting enough physical activity you know what is it that you do on a, a weekly basis that you kind of come back to yourself and, and maintain your own healthful pursuits uh, well right now I I listen to calm app because I do a lot of meditating yeah. and all this thing and I I yeah that's what I go for that's what is the one thing that I, I don't know anything about life I would say but I know for sure what's good for me <laughs> is meditating and, and keeping myself um, good. like be here and right now. Because I did the meditation retreat and yeah. it was like I was over for a week and it was um amazing. I it was like one of a lifetime experience for me and um yeah, with this right now, you know, a lot of, like I mean I, I got freaked out with everything's going on. I'm pretty sure everyone is too. Um yeah. so yeah. In order to calm myself down, in order to, like you said, self care and come back and reflect and rejuvenate, on order, mm-hmm. one of my tools is to use Calm app. Um, if you have American Express, it's free. <laughs> you can download it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you have American Express, you can download it for free, and it's a year um subscription. I think it's seventy five dollars or something. Um, but yeah, I nice. they do do have like story time, um, calm shooting music, um, 10 minutes meditation every day, and it's like the backstory and the lesson of each. I'm not doing a promo for them, but it's like, it's, it's what I use. Oh, and 
Yeah, you should. You should. And another you should get one kick, I you use is you, just YouTube. It's free mm-hmm. too. It's like affirmation listening. So like affirmation music every morning. It's like the I am good enough. I mean, I I never tried it, but when I started yeah. shops, and it was, I was like, you know, out of like out of my very much out of my comfort zone. So I had to like do whatever it takes to calm myself down. So I would listen to that those affirmation yeah. videos and. And it really, it, it helped, you know, like subconsciously, I don't know how I did, but I guess it's like, it's instilled in me, like for, it, it helped me like go through the day and walk in the day with like not knowing anything, but just like being me and think that it's enough. I mean, te- technicality, I'm not enough, but you know, just who I am is enough. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love that. I think there is something, there is something about, again, I, you know, being vulnerable and I've often said why is it so easy for us to believe the bad things we say about ourselves? Why can't we just say the good things too? Because which, which is true, right? Just because there are thoughts in your head doesn't mean it's facts. So you can easily talk yourself into or out of something and why not make it a positive experience? And I do believe the more you say things out loud, the more you kind of reflect on that, that you do build up your confidence and pretty soon your psyche kind of takes over and starts believing that. So even if you're going into something, rolling your eyes, like, yeah, right, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't think I am good enough. But over time and that practice and that consistency, just like anything, you're building up the muscle, you're building up your brain to kind of believe the things that you're saying to yourself. And, uh, and like you were saying, it could be anything from 10 minutes of just listening to some sort of guided story to quiet time for 20 minutes or, you know, whatever it is that somebody feels comfortable in doing. I really do think that's helpful, especially when if anybody out there is like me, I'm constantly go, go, go. Like I'm taking a shower and I'm constantly thinking of things to the point where I forgot (laughs) to like shave a leg or, you know, whatever. And so my brain kind of goes off in these different directions that it's nice to kind of just, like you said, sit, sit down, settle, center yourself, be present in the moment and just like empty your brain of whatever else is in there and give yourself a minute just to be, and just to let that kind of wash over you. I love that. So keep done that. I love that. Um, can you tell me too? So, uh, current, uh, well, first of all, let me go back for a second. Just ask you, is there anything that we didn't necessarily cover that you might want to address? Because we're going to start kind of winding our, we're wrapping up our interview coming soon, but share with us if there's anything that I maybe missed. I didn't ask you if there's anything well, that you'd I like guess to share. One thing is what you have impacted my life. <laughs> because like, I don't, yeah, I don't think I told you, but so you one of the, yeah, I don't think I told me. you about how i Fell about uh, you the first time we met or like through our uh, interaction it's it's very much inspiration because no, oh man i'm gonna yeah, start crying like, okay down, i'm like i want to be like her i want to be able to multitask and be uh, passionate and loving life and loving oh, what so she's cute. doing and you're not you know how some people are like oh you know what i know what i, I want to do this i want to do that um, i can do everything but you actually doing it in the most <gasps> detail-oriented way you know, the most organizing, like, the oh. most organizing way, and, 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 and it's loving. It's very, it was very loving watching it. was like, because I don't talk a lot, but I have watched it. Last I told you, I look, and I observe, and oh. I'm like, oh, okay. She's not actually, because Thanks. when you said you would send this, you would send this. And it's not like you, oh, okay, um, uh, yeah, I, it's like, it's just another mm. task, it's just another, no, you actually means it, and you actually I'm my heart is bursting right now. I I'm so happy you say that because honestly, I do things 
with genuine compassion. And sometimes I get told by people like, and again, I realize it's from their own ignorance. I get told by people like, Oh, you can't be that nice. You must have an ulterior motive or you have like your own agenda about things. And I'm like, I legit don't, I just want to be of service to people. Like, listen, don't get me wrong. I want to be rich and famous and successful, but only so that I can give money to people who are less fortunate and I can make people feel empowered. I really don't, I, it's just hearing you saying that, like, I'm so uncomfortable right now because I'm thinking like, I just do things like, I don't know, whatever. And it makes me feel so good that it resonates. And I don't think I've ever known that. I mean, I know you and I shared kind of, you know, messages back and forth and I just go, Oh yeah, thanks a lot. That's very sweet to say, but I, that makes me feel so, and I, I'm not paying you to say this, obviously, right. We're going to disclaim you're not getting any money. Uh, you're not a sponsor of the dish with Dina program. That makes me feel so good. And I, and I so enjoy working with people who get it. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I love the energy and the feedback and it makes me feel motivated to keep doing because believe me, Sokita, and I've shared this before in some of the, the interviews, like there are days where I just do not want to get out of bed or continue life. So it makes me feel good that I'm, there's something, somebody out there that it's resonating with. Um, that, oh, that means no, yeah, a lot I to mean, me. You, you so left imprint. Continue, continue talking about you your imprint. <laughs> I was going to say, continue. Oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet. Uh, I I didn't mean to cut you off. I know you were kind of going, you know, in that direction of anything else that you wanted to share. But um, so thank you again for saying those lovely words. It's very, very lovely. I'm I'm still reeling from it. Thank you. It's the truth. Uh, uh, Is there anything else that you were hoping to share with the listeners or any other messages that you wanted to get out there as far as, you know, what you've learned in your own life um, in pursuing things and kind of, you know, what we've, what we've kind of touched upon in our conversation mm, i guess what i've learned so far um up until my mid-20s i guess just go for it you know just it's cliche as it is just go for it yeah i mean for me when i started my food business i had to youtube stuff too like literally <laughs> i had to youtube like the stuff um so right. i didn't know you don't have to know everything to start i mean you can do the preparation of course but you know I know you're all about preparations um but and you're really good at it too and that's what I want to be too you know but at the same time um I have to start with myself like here's you that's a thing that I don't yes. that's a lot of things that I don't know and have to be willing to admit to that and that's how yeah. you learn from there you know um so just I guess you know with a lot going on you can just take some time this year or next year and learn about yourself better and not be too scared to just expose yourself I love that the go for it thing and don't worry about being perfect like just progress and just move forward and uh you know it just it doesn't have to be exact like you'll figure it out you just have to have the drive to do something and things will kind of come and and line up for you to be able to figure out how to execute and it's always going to be said love that definitely Um, um Mm-hmm. I mean, when I found out, when I got this job and I found out the things that are, the amount of things that I don't know, it, it saddens me. It makes me feel so right. sad. Oh my God, like, why don't I know this already? You know, all these things. Um, but then um, I took a step. I mean, I was like in my cocoon for like a little bit, but then with the support of my family and my boyfriend, like we, I, I got out, you know, yeah. but it's okay. Set back and then go back again. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you can make that decision. Yeah, I was gonna say, and you can make that decision. You can make that decision to say, I'm going to face this head on and figure out what's going on or leave it behind because it's not serving me. And also be able to, um, you know, walk away and kind of like reconfigure your approach to things as well. Kind of make it your own. I, I really love that message. So, so Kita, can people find you 
publicly? Like, are you, I know, I know you on Instagram, but is that a public uh, profile page or if anybody wants to work with you, talk with you, ask you questions about, you know, your life and what they've heard, oh, can yeah. they find so you, you online? You can find anywhere? me on LinkedIn. It's Sakita Sok, S-O-K-H-I-T-A, last name S-O-K. And I'll link all yes. this in the, the episode as that well. I'll, I'll put these links in. Okay. The last question to tie all this in, my corny, my corny pun intended food joke is what is on your plate today? So as it is right now, we're still in the morning. It is a weekend. We're recording this on a Saturday. What, what are you doing when we hang up with each other? What are you going to be doing? What's on your plate? And then also what's your next meal going to be today? What are you preparing um, for yourself? Right now I'm eating leftover. <laughs> um, it's, it's passed out of my sister made leftover with ground beef. No vegetables on the side. I mean, it's okay. Before my next one, I'm anticipating for hot pot. Um, so hopefully I get that. Mm-hmm. And do you have a busy day ahead of you well, today, too, as far as work or anything you else that you're pursuing? Um, actually, yeah. I started um, tackling my um, the backyard, my parents' backyard. So I'm trying to do the paver patio for them. And again, I don't know anything about it, but ah. I, 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 I would love, I want to try, you know, just like putting the the stone and stuff. So we'll see how it goes. Thank you so much for joining me this week on the Dish with Dina podcast. I am Dina D'Alessandro, registered dietitian, nutritionist, founder, and chief executive life changer at Dish with Dina. And I'm also your host. If you like what you heard, I would be so grateful if you could subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and share this with others who you think might benefit from what we have to offer on these episodes. You can also join my mailing list at dishwithdina.com or email me at info at dishwithdina.com with questions, comments, feedback, and if you'd like to be a guest on a future episode because everybody eats and we all have a story to share. I hope you tune back in next week when we dish again.